Today's scripture will come from Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 12, page 1099 in the Black Pew Bible. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observances the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up by Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing through Mysia, they went up to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had sent, seen the vision, immediately went, he sought out to go on to, into Macedonia, concluding that God called him, called us to preach the gospel to him. So saying sail from Troas, we, say, we made a direct voyage to Somothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remain in this city some days. It's good to uh, to see everybody here this morning. I know many of us are still at home and uh, welcome you via Facebook Live. Appreciate the media team getting all that ready. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful? They can uh, those that aren't able to be with us can be with us to some degree, but we still long for you to be here. But it is good to see you. Good to see Sylvia here with us. Um, good to see you, Dallas, back there. Miss um, Edna, Mr. Glenn, it's good to, for y'all to be here with us. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 30. What we are, our habit, our rhythm here at our church, we just preach through books of the Bible and we divert from that very seldom. We just start in a book, just like you would read a book, right? You start at the beginning and work through the to the end and we do that that's kind of how we know how to preach and so we're at a, a text this morning if you were going to choose this text and we have several men that um, pastor here at our church and shepherd people our small group leaders they like to preach and teach and so I say hey pick we're in a book pick a text what text do you want to teach well this is not the text they would choose um, and not that it's not helpful and it's not uh, infallible and it's not God's word it is but it's um, it, it's a little bit more difficult to, to preach and teach but we decided last year as a church at the end of the year that each year at the end of the year if we have excess funds instead of taking that money and putting it in the bank which everyone typically would do that we're going to take that money and, and put it in the hand of our partners and you know we have several churches uh, that we help support, that we are partnering with, um, that are doing the same things in their cities and towns that we're trying to do here, and it's make disciples and share the gospel and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So our, our budget team informed us this year that we had $65,000 in excess this year, and then the mission team met and decided how to dispense that money to our partners, and so we were able to send that money out uh, I'm excited um, to be a part of that and to be a part of a giving church. You give sacrificially. 
so we um, can be a part of ministry, not just here in Tipton County, but in throughout the country and throughout the world. And I will encourage you to continue to be a sacrificial giver. Lottie Moon is an offering we take at Christmas, and we, we took it up last week, this week, and we'll take it up again next week. But you can take, uh, you can give via text giving. If you have a problem with any of that, call Michael. She'd love to help you with that. Or you can give like you do traditional way, writing a check. But I want to encourage you to give to Lottie Moon. You say, well, why do you stress that? Because there's people all over the world. And many, many, many people in the world today, millions of people have never heard the gospel. And if you don't hear the gospel, according to the scriptures, what happens to your soul? You're born, enter in this world a sinner, and you leave this world a sinner, separated from the Lord for all eternity. The only hope is the gospel. And how's the gospel going to get out to these unreached places? You either have to get on a plane and go take the gospel to them, or we find healthy, gifted people that we can send to go take the gospel to these hard-to-reach places. And so that's what we do. It's a cooperative effort. As Southern Baptists, we take our monies and we find those people that are healthy, they're able to go, they're gifted to go, and they're willing to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And folks, we got to get them. We got to get money in their pockets so they can go. We got to buy the plane tickets and buy their insurance for their for their kids. And we got to send them because there's people all over the world that's never heard the gospel. And so we want to be a part of that. So I want to encourage you to give sacrificially. Whatever you gave at Christmas, whatever you spent on Christmas, you ought to give that much to Lottie Moon. You said, well, that ain't in the Bible. I know, I just said it. That's coming from Shane. You spent more money on, on your kids' Christmas getting them stuff they probably didn't need anyway and probably done forgot about. You need to give money to Lottie Moon. I'll encourage you. I was a, a I was an IMB missionary. Spent 10 years in China. Don't know why the Lord brought me back, but he prov providentially did. But we got to send folks. We got to send our healthy people that are able to go to the hard to reach places. So let's do that. Think about this. We we took this money, this excess money, and we put it in our partners' hands to do ministry, and that's great. I'm I'm really tickled about that. I'm excited, and you should be, because we blessed the partners. Man, they were blessed. I called them and told them, and they're on the way back to they're on the way back to. Kansas City and they were just so excited and so thankful and they expressed their thanks for us helping them in their ministry there. But just imagine this. Imagine these partners. You got the partners, you got uh, the Greggs in Malaysia, you've got the um, you got the Strimptons in Romania, you got the Plas in Idaho, and just think of if one of our partnering church pastors, one of our missionaries whom we, we love and we support. Just imagine if they were, were, were put in prison for doing the Lord's work. What if they were persecuted, put in prison for the Lord's work? Now, we would want to know how they're doing. How are they holding up to the persecution? What is their attitude? How are they physically? Are their physical needs met? Are they persevering in their faith? Are they continuing to trust in the Lord? Now, what would happen in, in our day and time, and I started to do this, right? It's 11.16, so it's 1.16 in the morning for the Gregs. I started to take my phone up here and send them a text and wake 
add them up. He loves it when I do that. I do it every now and again, right? But I was going to text him and say, give us a call, you know, and show you how easy it is to communicate this day and time. Come, I could text him right now and most likely I'd say, hey, you know, I really need you to call me right now. He would, in a few minutes, he'd probably call me. He's on the other side of the world. Isn't that amazing? Technology. But during Paul's day, that, was, that wasn't possible. And that's the situation the Philippian church was facing. Paul, their father in the faith, the one who had started that church in Philippi on his second missionary journey, he was being persecuted and mistreated for the gospel's sake. He was in prison for doing the Lord's work. And so what they did is they sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, to see how Paul's holding up. Not only that, but take him stuff. Take him some money. Things that he would need. And so what Paul is doing in the letter to the Philippians, he's, is he, he's answering that inquiry. He's sending out this letter to let them know how he was doing. And he did. He let them know how he's doing, didn't he, in the first chapter. And then we get to chapter 1, verse 27. And from 127 till our text today, Paul's been giving, in, giving the Philippians instruction. And about he's saying, live your life in a, in, in a way that pleases the Lord. Live your life worthily, worthy of the gospel. And not only that, he says, live in humility. Consider others more important than yourself. Just like Jesus did. Have the same attitude, the same mind as Christ. Jesus is our exemplar. And so he holds up the example of Christ in chapter 2 to the Philippians. And in verse 17 and 18, let's look at that. We see Paul following Christ's example. Even if I, Paul, am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's also an example. Like Christ, I'm willing to be sacrificed for the kingdom's sake. And we see like spiritual father, like spiritual son, right? You should rejoice also. I'm rejoicing, and you should rejoice also. So Jesus is our exemplar, but then Paul says, I'm following his example. And then what he does here in our text today is he, he holds up two other examples. And we need that today, don't we? We need good examples. He lifts up Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let's read that text in chapter 2, verse 19. Through 30, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Can you say that about yourself? You're genuinely concerned about someone? For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how a, as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He said, man, I don't know what I do. I just, 
It'd break my heart if Epaphroditus would have died. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So what Paul is doing here in our text is he's holding up an example. He, Jesus is our exemplar. Paul's following his example, and he says there's two other guys, Timothy and Pavarotis, and he's holding them up for us to see. But it's easier to follow examples than to obey principles, isn't it? He can just give us a bunch of commands, do this, do this, do this, do this, live this way and this way and this way. But I think it's easier for us to see an example. Truths are, are caught easier than they are taught, I believe. I thought about it this way. Math, how many of you students, you like math? You like math? Yeah, some of you like math. Now, in your math textbook, for some of you who hadn't looked at a textbook in a long time, what happens if you've forgotten, they have a lesson, and they tell you, they teach you step by step, this is what's going on here. But in a math textbook, what they do is they give you the examples. Okay? Seth, Seth's around here. So Seth asked him about his homework, and he says, and I'll say to him, hey, he said, how do you do this? I said, well, let's flip through it in your book. Have you read the lesson here? Of course, he's like, no. So, Seth, I want to ask your forgiveness, son, because I never read the lesson either. And from now on, I'm never going to ask you to read the lesson ever again, son, because I didn't do it, and it's, it's, it's a waste of time. Because you have, a, you have example problems. So that's what we do. Isn't it, Macy? We don't read the lesson. Oh, I'm going to spend 30 minutes to do that. No, I can spend 30 seconds to look at the example how they did it. So that's what we do. We go to the example, and okay, I'm going to emulate them and, and, and work my problems out that way, right? That's what we do. It's easier. In, in fact, one of my better friends in life, we spent, um, he, he's a pastor friend of mine, and we spend New Year's Day, we kind of have our tradition, New Year's Day, his wife is, is Asian, and so they get together, and she cooks Japanese, and we cook uh, Chinese, and we just have a meal together. It's always a good time for us to spend time together. And he was telling me this, this uh this New Year's Day, he says, you know, if I had to do over again, he's been in ministry 25, 30 years, he said, if I had to do over again, when I started ministry, what I would have done is I would have found a church with a pastor that loves the Lord and, and shepherds his people. And I would, just, I would have just worked under this pastor like as an intern. And what I would like to do is just see how he preaches, see how he leads, see how he shepherds, see how he counsels, see how he lives his life. Because I wanted to be able to have an example to follow. Man, that would have been so much easier than me jumping in ministry and just trying to figure things out as I go, learning by making mistakes. Truths are caught easier than they are taught. So Paul is holding Timothy and Paphroditus up for us as examples. These men have done exactly what Paul has been exhorting the Philippians to do from chapters 127 all the way to chapter 2, verse 18. These guys have lived it. They're living it. This is what it looks like to do these things, to live a life worthy of the gospel. This is what it means to, to be humble and put others before yourself. This is what it means. This is what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. This is what it looks like to live your life and not grumble. Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. So he, he, he gives us these examples. So a couple things we can learn, I think, from Timothy and Epaphroditus' life here in verses 19 through 30. First is uh, we should have an I'm third mindset. I've got a slide. I don't know if you have that, Sarah, that slide, the, the picture of the, the shirt. Do you not have that? Okay. All right, let me tell you a story. 
It's 98, all right, uh, 1998. Uh, I was a youth pastor here at Beaver Baptist Church, and um, some of you, uh, Amy, you remember this. We, uh, I think, yeah, Amy, Amy definitely remembers because I've got a picture of of this shirt. We're all in a group. We're in, um, we're in um, Atlanta, and we were at what's that? What's that complex down there called, Jenny? In Atlanta, the one I told you we went to. Don't remember. Techwood. Yeah, Techwood, right by Georgia Tech. It's Techwood. And we go down there, and we're wearing these shirts because every summer we had a theme. When I was youth pastor, we had a theme for the summer. And so our Wednesday night Bible studies were all built around this theme for the summer, you know, a couple months' worth. And so the shirt, it has a big, it's a big circle, and it says, I'm third on the front. And in the back, it kind of gives an explanation. It says, I'm third. It says, Jesus first, other second, um, third. It's kind of like a theme uh, for the summer. But we have these shirts, and and. What happened when I left, when I moved from here and went to Louisville to go to seminary, Miss Jane Thornton, which she was on our, our student team at the time, and uh, she took all those shirts from, and we had shirts for retreats and camps and all that, and she took all those shirts and she cut them up and she made me a quilt. And I had some pictures I want to show you, but I have to do that another time. But she made a, a quilt with all the shirts that we had made over the years, those used shirts. And that one, one of those shirts was this, I'm third. But we need to have an I'm third mindset. Let's look at this text. Uh, Hunter read for us the, the text out of Acts 16. The reason I had him read that is because Timothy joined Paul on a second missionary journey, and he read that story of how Timothy came to be a part of Paul's team. Right? He joined Paul and Silas on a second missionary journey. He's in Lystra. They picked Timothy up, and Luke is, is along with us. We know Luke's with us because he used the pronouns we and us. And Luke's the one writing us to Theophilus, remember? So it's Luke and Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they're going on this second missionary journey. And they get to Philippi, and they they... They see Lydia saved, right? And eventually the, the Philippian um, jailer was saved and a church was started there. But Timothy was a part of that. And so Timothy knew the Philippians. And they knew him. They wanted to go to Bithynia. But Paul has this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come help us. And, so, and it says the spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go to Bithynia. And so they go to God directing their steps, right? And he goes to Philippi and starts the church there. But Timothy was, was, his mom was a Jew and his dad's a Gentile. But he helped Paul start the church there. And, and now Paul is in prison and guess who's with him? Timothy. You see from that second missionary, Timothy goes wherever he goes, wherever he goes, wherever he goes. And we see Timothy go to different places. Paul sends him out. And Paul eventually is going to send him to Philippi. But we also know first in 2 Timothy, Timothy is in Ephesus. They're helping that church that they had planted. So Paul's, he's, Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. And whatever he needs done, what does he do? He sends Timothy in his stead to go and check on these people and check on this church. And you do this here and you do that there. And so that's what Timothy's doing. He's a, he's a son in the faith. He's a co-worker with Paul. But he is genuinely concerned for the Philippians and the cause of Christ. He's one who puts others' interest above his own. He put the Philippians' interest above his own. He put Christ's interest above his own. He lived out that Philippians 2, 3, and 4 passage, right? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but in humility consider others more important than yourself. And that's what he's doing. He is genuinely concerned for the Philippians. So when the Philippians have a problem, he has a problem. When they're rejoicing, he's rejoicing. He has genuine concern for them. He and Timothy and Paul, they had these kindred spirits. 
They worked together. They had the same motive, the same goal. Want to see people saved, want to see the church built up. So we see that in, in Timothy. And Paul's in prison. He needs someone to go to Philippi and check on him. And, and, um, and so we see this I'm third attitude. He says, there's no one like him. He's one of a kind. He trusts him wholeheartedly. And he says, he's generally concerned for their welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. Think about all those who are with them. And now that doesn't mean that they weren't believers, but they just had their interests were a little divided sometimes, right? Well, they love Jesus, but then they love themselves a lot too. I really can't trust them to go and do what they, that needs to be done. I'm not sure that these people, I don't trust these people. See, they hadn't been faithful with the small things, right? So he couldn't put them in charge of much. Hey, can you take care of this for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got that, I got that. It doesn't get taken care of. Hey, can you do this over here? Oh, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And it, and it doesn't happen. That's what happens. We need to send somebody to Philippi to check on them. He doesn't send these knuckleheads, right? Doesn't mean they don't love the Lord. They just hadn't been faithful to small things. But Timothy's been faithful. And so he's put in charge of much. He, he has this I'm third attitude. It's also uh, a, or a me third attitude. But it's also called, a, someone has called it a joy attitude. And he said, it's Jesus, then others, and then you, right? But Timothy's the real deal. He's the real deal. When, let me tell you this. When I, when I was in, working in China, I told many of you this story. But I, I, we were just sharing the gospel. We didn't know a believer in the city. 800,000 people. We didn't know one Christian. We moved there. Hello. We're going to try to find some pastors to train, right? We didn't know a believer. And we met a, a guy that was, uh, he was a colleague of mine at the university, and, and he and his wife were kind of interested in spiritual things. We shared the gospel with them, we were kind of interested, so we just kind of got them together and we started studying with them. We had a study we took them through, it was kind of the gospel, the eight studies, and we said, hey, we're just going to, we're not going to spend forever time, but we're going to spend eight weeks, you come over one night, we'll cook you supper, and, and we'll spend time, we'll study the scriptures and, and talk about the Bible. Said, yeah, we'd love to learn about the Bible. So we studied through those eight studies, and about week four, he said, you know, you need to meet Teddy is what he called him. He was an English teacher. So he, he liked to practice English. He said, you need to meet Teddy. I'm like, well, who's Teddy? He's like, well, he's a, he's a real Christian. You need to meet Teddy. He's a real Christian. And I'm like, yeah. I, you know, after about the third week, I'm like, yeah, I kind of like to meet Teddy. Seeing that I don't have a Christian friend in this whole city of 800,000 people, love to meet Teddy. And so finally, he introduced me to Teddy. I spent seven years pouring my life into Teddy. And Teddy's the real deal. He is the real deal. I was telling the men in, in the men's breakfast, you know, you get to a point where you ask somebody their opinion and it's just saying, well, I think, because we do that a lot, because we all have opinions. I have an opinion about just about everything. And a lot of times I'll tell you your opinion, whether you want to hear it or not. But what's our default mode? It should be as Christians, our default mode should be when I ask Chris, what about this? He's, he, he should say what? He should say, well, you know, the scriptures say. Who cares what you think? You shouldn't care what I think. What's the scripture say? And that's what happened with Teddy. Toward the latter part of our time, we knew that they, you know the window was closed and we're going to be moving. We're, they're not going to let us stay here. And I get where I asked Teddy, he's a, what, "What do you think about this?" He said, "Well, the scripture say. Well, the scripture say. Well, the scripture say." Man, I can leave this city knowing that this guy's got it. He's got it. My work's done. Providentially, we, we, we had to leave, and boom. But he's still there, teaching other people 
to have the same default. What do you think about that? Well, the scriptures say. Yeah, that's what Timothy, he was a real deal. He had been faithful with little, and Paul was putting him in charge of much. What about you? What about me? What can we learn about Timothy's life? I think Timothy, he wanted to please the Lord above all things. And then he put these other people above himself, their interest above his own. Wow, we, wouldn't it be awesome if we all were like that? We just want to please the Lord and we put other people, other their interests and their needs above our own. Wow, how I need to be more like Timothy. The church needs more Timothy's. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And same could be said of Timothy. He's imitating Paul and, and by doing so, he's imitating the Lord in many ways. And we can follow Timothy's example. Think about it. The lost, there's a lost person needs to hear the gospel. Our response is, what, what's the Lord want me to do? And how is this going to help the church? A widow needs something done. Our gutter's cleaned out. Well, what's, what would Christ have me do? And then what's best for the church? Mr. Paul McMurtry, right? He's home. Miss Dale is in rehab well he needs a visit well what would Christ have me do and what's best for the church right we've got to get together with the kids uh, an outing with the kids do I need to be a part of that what would Lord have me do and what's best for the church that's Paul's mindset he has the interest of Christ and also others' interest above his own. Timothy is receiving a letter of recommendation from Paul. And Timothy's going to be going to Philippi soon. And Timothy can be trusted not to have his own agenda but obey Christ and have their interest above his own. It's interesting Paul doing this because you know, dictators don't groom men to replace them. You ever notice that? Dictators, they don't groom men to replace them. But that's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to work himself out of a job, right? Giving Timothy his responsibilities, the things that he would normally do if he wasn't in prison. Paul's trying to replace himself. Well, Paul isn't sending Timothy immediately. You notice that when we read through the text? Now he's going to wait and see what happens at his trial. And he's thinking, well, I'm going to send Timothy, but maybe I'll get to go as well. But he's, he's not real sure, but he's hopeful. But instead, he's, he's sending Epaphroditus. And that leads us to the second thing I think we can learn from this text. Is, is, as believers, we unassumingly represent the church. And that might not make sense to you right now, but hopefully it will by the time I'm finished. Epaphroditus, Paul's brother and co-worker. He unassumingly represents the church. Now, according to chapter 4 of Philippians, Epaphroditus, you don't know a lot about Epaphroditus. Timothy, I say Timothy, you know Timothy, right? You know a lot about Timothy, Paul's son of the faith. But Epaphroditus, we don't know a whole lot about him. But Epaphroditus brought Paul a gift, financial help from the church in Philippi. And the church probably expected Philippi, I mean, uh, um, uh, Epaphroditus to see Paul and get a report, see how he's doing, and then return pretty soon after that to Philippi. 
But Paul tells him that he's sending him back, but he's been here a little while because he was ill. Not just a, a little sick, but he was about to die. And we don't know what kind of illness it was, but it was pretty serious. But notice how he describes Epaphroditus in verse 25. He calls him a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. Yeah, how would, how would we describe you? How would others in our church describe you? Could they say that? A brother, a sister, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister? I hope you see yourself as a minister. And what's interesting about Epaphroditus is he was sick, but when he knew that the Philippians knew about his illness, he was, the word says, distressed. Look at verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now, Mark 14, 33, we see the same word distress, the same exact word used about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, right, his three closest disciples. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. That's when he began to sweat drops of blood. Remember that? But that same word distressed. So, okay, let's back up a second. Epaphroditus, he's ill. They thought he was going to die, but he, he recovered. God was gracious to him in that regard. But when he hears that the Philippians know he's sick, how do they know? I'm not sure. Somebody had to go report that. By the way, Rome is three months' journey, 800 miles from Philippi. And so he's distressed. He's freaked smooth out. He's really troubled. Why? Because the Philippians know he's ill. Think about that. I mean, many of us have been sick, right? Yeah, flu A, COVID, flu B. Yeah, we kind of all had it. A lot of us have had it. And this is what happens. We've been out for a while, quarantined, been sick, and we come in. We kind of expect somebody to say, hey, man, how you feeling? Or you get phone calls. You know, hey, man, how you doing, right? Heard you were sick. Heard you had the virus, right? Yeah. How are you doing? And we expect that. And we should, as a church, we should check on people and make sure we're doing okay and serve people. And it makes you feel good, don't it? But there's a part of us when we come here, we kind of want somebody to ask us. And I'm not saying that's terribly bad. We all think we all, to some degree, want to be cared for. But sometimes we have this tendency when we come back, we kind of, we don't lie because Christians don't do that, right? But we might embellish that thing a little bit. Like, yeah, man, I was like, I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. Man, I had one bad night. I was like, I couldn't even breathe. It was like this thing was like tight on my chest. You know, just, we kind of talk about it a little bit. And we do it. And that's not terrible. It's not sinful that bad. But what I'm doing is comparing what I do and many of us do to Epaphroditus. And what did Epaphroditus do? He got freaked out sad because the Philippians knew he was sick. We're kind of like, I want everybody to know I'm sick. And when I come back, I want them to ask how I'm doing. And it does make us feel good. I'm not saying it should. It should. But Epaphroditus, that's what I'm saying. He's unassuming. He didn't want the Philippians worrying about him. That's how much he's, that's how modest he is and humble he is. He didn't want them worrying with them because he'd rather than worry about somebody else. That's what I want to point out in this text. For he'd been longing for you, verse 26, and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. 
He was unassuming, right? He didn't want people to fuss over him because he genuinely wanted the attention and care to be given somebody else. Hunter, he didn't want to be a bother. Isn't that awesome? That's kind of godly and selfless. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to want others to care for you. I'm just saying in co compared to him, wow. Right? It also said he risked his life. Verse 30, he, he nearly died and he risked his life to complete what was lacking in his service to me. We, we see this elsewhere. Other, other people risk their life for Christ. Priscilla and Aquila in Romans 16, 3 and 4, greet a prit, a prit, Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ who risked their necks for my life. Yeah, they risked their lives. To whom not only I give thanks, but all the church of the Gentiles give thanks as well. There's other people that do that too. Paraphernalia, he risked his life, right? Yeah, he could have died. He risked his life. I means he discarded the shield. He risked it a lot. He kind of gambled. Yeah, he was sick. He just came on anyway. Brought the gift. Pressed on and did what was asked of him. And yeah, he nearly died. He realized that the kingdom work was worth the risk of his life, right? He took one for the team. We, we don't have, uh, we, don't, we have some, some of our retired military folks. And we have a few here. We have several that aren't here today, but it's like the Purple Heart. I don't know about you. I, I was traveling. We traveled a lot when we were overseas. And anytime I saw somebody in the military, they're they're dressed in their in their uniform or whatnot. Man, I would always go up, shake their hand. I talk to them. Where are you from? Where are you going? Man, I appreciate your service to our country. Man, what a blessing. I'm just really thank. I just try to express my thanks. But how much more so when you see somebody and they have a purple heart? What's a purple heart mean? Do you know? Yeah, it means you're wounded, right? You get a purple heart if your life is taken in battle or you're wounded. And I was really interested in that this week, kind of looking up. You know there was one guy in the Vietnam, during the Vietnam War? He had nine. Nine? How does that happen? They would just sew him up, send him on back out there, right? He had nine purple hearts. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, purple hearts, you get it because you're, 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 you're injured in battle. You're taking a bullet or some shrapnel or something. You take one for the team. So when you see somebody in, you know, in the military stuff, but you see a purple heart, you, you're thankful. You should be. And you should, when you see them all, you should be so thankful. And you should express your thanks to our military. But when you see one with a purple heart, you're doubly thankful. Wow. Not only are you serving, but you took one for the team. Well, you were injured. Thank you for your sacrifice. But that's Epaphroditus. He, he, had, uh, he, had, he had taken one for the team. And he had this affection for the church. He's been longing for you all, right? And Paul says he, he was so glad he didn't die because he would have been so sad. There was an affection there these guys, isn't it? Paphroditus had affection for the Philippians, and Paul had an affection for Paphroditus. There's a lot of affection going on there, a lot of love, right? Because they had done time together, these guys and Paul. Not jail time, per se, but ministry time, right? They had kindred spirits. We said Jesus was humble and helpful, and he was others-focused. He's our exemplar, right? For all of us who are who have placed our faith and trust in him, we should, we should try to emulate Christ, but in Timothy and Epaphroditus, they've, they've, they're in many ways, they're emulating Christ, right? 
they illustrate what it looks like to, to follow him and to, and to be humble and to live worthy of the gospel. See, they're, they're out doing ministry, but they're not peddling unapplied truth. We don't want to do that. We don't want to peddle unapplied truth. We don't teach, 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 and never obey, right? And we don't see that with Timothy and Epaphroditus. And, and they were different, weren't they? Timothy and Epaphroditus, they were different. They were come from different backgrounds. Timothy was Jewish. Epaphroditus, his name probably tells us he was, he was Gentile. And his parents were probably pagan because of his name. But they're different. They have different backgrounds and, and different upbringings and different ways of life and varying gifts, diverse personalities, whatever. But, the, but, the, but we see the grace being operative in their lives. The effectual work of the Holy Spirit changed them. And what happens? Even though they're so very different, they begin to look really, really similar and act a lot alike. Because why? They're becoming more and more like who? Christ. And that's what happens with us, right? We're all different. But as we mature in our faith, what happens? We begin to look a lot alike in how we handle situations, how we respond to one another. Yeah, we act like more and more like like Jesus. It's interesting how they cooperated together, Timothy being the son in the faith and Epaphroditus being a, a co-worker of, of Paul. They, they, they had this cooperative effort because they ha had the same goal. And you know what? I, I sense that here with our church, a growing cooperative effort. I know the guys I meet with on Tuesday, you know, I, I'm, I'm closer to them than most people because we spent more time together. You know, it's kind of the idea you find faithful men and to invest in and encourage and, and equip them as best you can. That's what's happening with these guys and they're teaching and preaching and leading so well. But sometimes, you know, we have a cooperative effort, but, you know, sometimes it's not always easy because they don't always get their way and I don't always get our way, you know, as we make decisions, right? Sometimes you're together and you have to kind of bite your tongue, don't you, Rod? Like, well, I want to say this, but I'm not, right? We have to do that, don't we, sometimes, Chris? Eh, I'm not going to say that. Eh, want to. Yeah, we don't always get our way. But what, what, what's going on? We have this goal, don't we? We have the same goal. Yeah, we don't always do it my way. Don't always do it your way. We just have to work together. But we, we've got the same goal, and we're kind of moving in the same direction. There's a cooperation there. And that was going on with these guys. He holds them up as model servants. They're servants. A non-serving Christian is a walking contradiction. So I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Really? Awesome. Me too. How are you serving the Lord? You, know, you can't be a Christian and not be a serving Christian. Yeah, you, you can, right? Timothy and Epaphroditus show us what it means to be a, a serving Christian. And they've been faithful. And so Paul, you know, putting them in charge of more and more and more. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 12. I should have read this earlier, but I'll read it now. That, that idea of being faithful. These guys have been faithful. He said, well, how do you know they've been faithful? Well, Paul is giving them things to do that he would normally do if he wasn't in jail, right? This is taken out of Luke 16. One who is faithful is, is, is a, it's a parable here, is a very little... Who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, 
who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? So just being faithful. There's it's leadership principles, right? Leadership principles. I look around like you say, well, well, you know, no one's asked me to do this, no one's asked me to do that, no one's asked me to do this. If that's true, and it may be true, it may just be that we're just really in a funky time right now, you know. But it may may be that maybe have you been faithful with the little that you've been given? Yeah, well, I want to teach, and I want to do this, and I want to do this. Awesome. Great, man. We're going to meet up there at 7 o'clock, we're going to move some furniture. Need some furniture moved. you mind helping us with that? I don't really want to do that. I want to teach, or I want to sing, or I want to lead. We were, I, I told you this before, but I was a, I led a small group in Louisville, and it was about 40, 40 singles in our small group, and we... We would go to the nursing home on Sundays. So we'd go to church, have a small group. We'd go up to meet, and we'd go to this nursing home, and we would teach there. And we, we kind of like held service there on Sundays. And these guys, they're in divinity school, and they're brilliant. Some of them are, are, are have PhDs and are teaching Hebrew, and they're uh, COs and bigwigs at Lifeway. Da, 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 da. Great people, very intelligent, bright people. You know, there's kind of guys that would come in with their Greek New Testament. You know, you're teaching out of English and they're just reading along on the Greek and they're reading it and they're following you. You know, they could read the text and kind of translate as they go. Really bright and incredible guys. But I think they'd say, hey, when are you going to let me teach on Sunday morning? Now, remember, it's singles, right? And it's guys and girls. Well, they're, you know, 24, 25, 26 years old. They're kind of like thinking about it, Rodney, you know, like looking around. And they want to teach because why? What, the guys want to teach. Why? Honey, they just want to kind of show out. And some of those guys are incredible teachers. But you know what I would do? I'd say, you, I'd love for you to teach. Hey, we're going to the nursing home next Sunday. You can teach next Sunday. Man, I got you know, to study. Or I gotta, they always had to study, these guys. Always had to study. Always had to study. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. If you want to teach, you can teach at the nursing home. But a lot of guys never want to do that, you know. They weren't faithful in a little, so I couldn't put them in charge of much, right? Maybe you're, maybe you're here and you think, man, I, I don't get asked to do these things. Well, have you been faithful with what you've been asked to do? Timothy and Papadotis, they've been faithful with those things, right? So now they're doing things like big, a lot of more responsibility because they've been faithful with the small things. Just, just kind of add that. Yeah. And what is the Philippians told to do with the Papadotis? Look at the... Look at the, the last few verses here. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. It's been said by some, you know, the devil's intent on undermining the authority of, of godly pastors. So the church, what do we do? The church needs to, to hold such men in, in high regard. I'm not talking about all pastors because all pastors don't deserve to be held in high regard because some pastors don't love well and don't shepherd well and don't you know aren't humble and loving people but he says you honor Epaphroditus and we should honor one another shouldn't we we see someone serving well we need to honor them and let them know how much we uh, appreciate them we definitely should honor the Lord shouldn't we you know Jesus he had a I'm third mindset a me third mindset right he obeyed the father he loved others, right? He was unassuming, wasn't he? He didn't come to be served, but he came to do what? He came to serve, right? 
And Jesus came to die, didn't he? And today we remember his death as we take the Lord's Supper. If you, if you came in and you want to take the Lord's Supper, but you didn't, you didn't um, get a cup, I want to ask you to, there in the vestibule, there's some cups there. You can slip out and get your cup and your, your cup and your, your bread come together. If you're the first time doing this, bear with us. We'll struggle together. Um, I'm going to read a text as we move into this part of our service, Exodus chapter 12. And what we're reading here, Dallas, I'm, going to read, I'm just going to read this text for you, is God through Moses is instituting the, the Passover. If you remember what the Passover was, Rhonda, in, in, in Egypt, God poured out his judgment on the Egyptians. Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, so God poured out his judgment, his wrath, in ten, ten different ways. And so the last judgment, the last plague is the death of the firstborn. And he told the Israelites, you're going to take a, a, a lamb and you're going to slaughter that lamb and you're going to take the blood and you're going to put it over your doorframe. And so when I pass through Egypt, all those who trust me and obeyed me and put the blood over the doorframe, I want to pass over that house. But the houses that don't have the blood over the doorframe, the firstborn in that house is going to die. And what happened? God passed through Egypt and poured out his wrath upon the Egyptians. And there wasn't a household one in Egypt that didn't have mourning in it. But for the Israelites who trusted the Lord and obeyed, they escaped the wrath of God. That Passover lamb that all those Egyptians, they, I mean all the Israelites sacrificed, that, that, that Passover lamb was pointing towards the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus, whose blood would be shed to atone for sinners. Jesus died so that sinners like you and me, we could, we could have uh, the wrath of God pass over us as it was poured out upon the Son. Let me read this for you. Exodus chapter 12, verse 24. Moses says, You shall observe this ride as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when He struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Notice, when your children say to you, see, it's interesting. The Passover, the Lord knew the Passover would require some explanation. So the children, what's that about? Explain that to me again. He knew that the Passover would require explanation, and so does the Lord's Supper. See, the, the Passover became the Lord's Supper. The Passover in the Old Covenant, we live under the New Covenant. And so we don't take Passover, we take the Lord's Supper, remembering not the Passover lamb, but we remember the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And so as you take that, that cup, and we're going to open it in just a moment, we'll open it together. There's, a, there's, a bre there's bread in the top. And what we're going to do in a moment, we're all going to do this together. 
we're going to have some prayer time and we're going to take the bread. And the bread, what the bread does is it represents the body of Christ. See, Jesus, we just had Christmas. He left the glories of heaven. He took on flesh. He didn't give up his, his deity. No, he's still God. But he became not only fully God, but fully man at the same time. Mysterious, isn't it? But he came, the God-man, he took on flesh. And you know what? Jesus died. He gave up his life willingly. And his blood was shed so that sinners could escape the wrath they deserve. And see, this, this, this supper we're about to take, it's like, it's like pulling up... The family pulling up to the, the table. Now, some of you families, maybe you don't eat a meal together. Our family, just um, every evening, almost every evening, sometimes twice a day, we pull up to the table as a family and we eat. Well, I already ate. Jenny, she says, I don't care. Come down anyway. And you sit here with us. Because we do. We talk and we spend time together at the table. It's a family meal. And that's what this is. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. And what I mean by that is if you're part of the family of God, take the meal with us. What does it mean to be a part of the family of God? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ, work on the cross as your own? Have you been faithful to the Lord in baptism and, and, and as a testimony to tell the church and the world that you're a born-again believer and you want to follow Him all your days? Well, if that's true of you, then we're going to invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us. As a matter of fact, as Phil said, you're commanded to. God's in all his wisdom he instituted the Lord's Supper so we would have to do what we'd have to remember what he did for us take a time out your busy life remember what he did for you but also you had to confess your sins see we already had confession time we are hopefully prepared our hearts to take the Lord's Supper because we don't want to take it in an unworthy manner it's not a flippant thing that's why we don't talk and cut up and laugh no it's a it's a serious time if you're a believer, we don't cut up during the Lord's Supper. I mean, this is serious and solemn because I'm remembering Christ and what he did for me. And so in just a moment, we're going to take this supper. So begin to prepare for that. But if you're a believer, maybe you're visiting with us and you're not a part of our church, we have open communion, which means it's not open for everybody. It's open for every believer. So if you're a believer, we want you to take the Lord's Supper with us. Turn back to the same text that, that Phil turned to, 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to take the supper. Again, if you don't, you like to take the supper, you don't have one, they're back there in the vestibule. But let's open that up. Praying for God to give you grace to open these things up. You open the first little part, there's the cracker there, there's the bread. Just get that bread ready. We're going to take that together as a church, as a family. I don't know if there's anything as important as this right here. Confessing your sin and remembering Christ and His sacrifice for us. I don't know if there's anything more important that we do as Christians than this. What a privilege it is. If you're taking the Lord's Supper, oh, what grace God has poured out on you and on me that we can take this supper. It's not because you're good. It's not because you've done anything at all. There's people all over this world who's never heard the gospel. What's the difference between you and them? Grace and God's mercy. What a privilege it is to be able to hold this as a part of the body of Christ. Hmm.
1 Corinthians 11, Paul is teaching these Corinthians about taking the Lord's Supper and how to do it rightly. He says, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, the night of the, the Last Supper, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, eat this bread and remember what Christ has done for you. We don't believe in, in transubstantiation, where the, this becomes the literal body of Jesus and we eat his flesh, but we do remember his body broken for us. So let's pray, and then we'll take the, the bread as a family together. Father, we recognize that we've experienced so much grace as I look around the, the church. And Caleb's here, and Dallas is here. Mallory's here, niece is here, Kristen, Bo, and James, and Elizabeth. Lonnie's here, Kim, Mandy's here. Just you've just been so gracious to us, God, because you've given us a desire, first of all, just to be here on church on this sunny Sunday morning. There's so many other things we could be doing. You've given us a desire to be here and worship together. That's grace. We're thankful. And Father, we're thankful that we can take the supper and we can remember the, the body broken for us. We thank you for Jesus becoming, becoming a man. We're thankful that he lived in this, on this earth among sinners and he was tempted and resisted it and he obeyed in every way. Father, he loved you with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself. We're thankful that he went to the cross and his body was broken. We're thankful that even though he had the power to call down 10,000 angels, he didn't. He willingly gave up his life for me. We're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the, the bread, remembering it's being thankful for the body of Jesus broken for us. We have this cup, and there may be some of you that have some trouble with that. Somebody beside you maybe be sweet enough to help you with it. There's a body, I mean a, a cup of juice here. And this juice is representing the blood of Jesus, that precious blood. Verse 25, Paul says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus' blood was poured out. A new covenant began with his people he would give us a, a heart of flesh give us a desire to obey him and the Holy Spirit which empowers us to do that but all of that was made possible by the blood the precious blood of the lamb it was poured out for us not just as but better than that blood that was put on the door frames of the of the 
houses of those in Egypt. And those Israelites were spared. The, the precious blood of Jesus, the once for all sacrifice for sin, was poured out to make atonement for, for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus' blood was spilt. His blood was shed so that we could be made righteous like Jesus. What a gift. What a blessing. May our hearts be broken over our sin. And our hearts be motivated to obey you. May we love you because you've first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the juice representing the blood of Christ. The text this morning is Paul giving us not only himself, but two other examples of those who loved the Lord, put others' interest above their own. May we be a people that grow in that, that we become a people who want to obey the Lord above all things and want to put others' interest above our own. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.